1: Hey everyone, it's Elliot. This isn't actually the opening of the podcast. This is just me letting you know that the podcast you're about to hear is the Patreon pod from last week where we discussed fandom and the Shaka incident and the Obamiang thing and just kind of went over what it means to be a fan of the club and what our role is in the success and potentially failure of the club. And there's some memory stuff in there and just some other interlully kind of stuff. So we hope you enjoy it. We're putting it out for everyone today because I think it prompted some interesting feedback and conversations uh, and we're interested to get your take on it. Having said that, there will also be a Patreon pod coming out in a few hours after this, it'll be a mailbag pod, so there's still plenty of time to get questions in if you want to sign up and put your questions in. In the middle of this, we're going to drop in a little ad break for the athletic, so hopefully you'll sign up for that at theathletic.com forward slash ArsenalVision. We got a lot more good stuff coming up this week, and with the football coming back, plenty of regular pods. So hope you enjoy this one, and we'll talk to you soon. This is some breaking news. We have just been handed a first copy of a report generated within the club. It turns out that they have carefully canvassed all of the issues surrounding the performance of the team, the players, the manager. They have, in fact, been diving deep into this, wanting to get to the bottom of the problem. And the good news is, the report has found the locus of the issue. The problem is you. So fix up. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We are living in Gaslight Nation, apparently happening all over the world in fact and with respect to Arsenal I think uh, it is fair to say that the fans are in fact the problem so now that we've uh, gotten to the root of it the core of it we can eliminate it and just eliminate the fans and maybe that is in fact the club's clever ploy what on earth am I talking about Um we'll get into that but I I do want to sort of explore the question of fans role in the performance of a team the proper ways of support what kinds of fan groups are appropriate and allowed and are not appropriate and allowed and things like that so One of the reasons that comes up is we'll be discussing the Aubameyang issue, newly named captain, and acting like the captain does by apparently being completely toxic. I kid. I absolutely love him, as you know. But there are some issues. And so Louis Ambrose will be joining us later. He is a uh, a student of and supporter of Dortmund as well as Arsenal. So he can give us some background on Aubameyang's supposed troubles when he was at Dortmund and how that reflects on what's happening now at Arsenal and what his take on that is. But before we do that, Tim, you may know him on Twitter as Stoberto is here. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Tim, I want to get your take on something just quickly. You know, there's been... First of all, you sort of do some journalism in in your own right, and uh, I don't mean that in a condescending way, by the way, uh, (laughs) however it may have sounded. You know, David Ornstein has been doing a lot of reporting, reporting about the Obama gang thing, reporting about what the club's feelings are on Emery, and there are questions. I think people say he's making it up, or it's not factual, or how do we know that's what the club really thinks? And I'm curious to get your take when he comes out with something about how the club feels or what the club thinks or comes out with a a comment like, you know, the atmosphere around the club or the noise Mm -hmm. around the club, to what extent do you think it is fair to have sort of questions about the authenticity or or veracity of that claim as it relates to the club really feeling that way at the highest corridors of power? And to what extent do you think people will just look for any excuse sort of not to believe a report that they don't align with?
2: Yeah, it's quite an interesting question, isn't it? Because when, you you know, obviously sources have to remain anonymous um, and, and you never quite know who the source is or how well-placed they are or anything like that. Um, I think it's kind of beyond doubt that David Ornstein has very well-placed sources at, at Arsenal. I mean, I think history bears that out quite emphatically. Um, but obviously we, we don't, you know, we don't know who the source is. You know, we don't know if it's... know whether it's the tea lady or an administrator or one of the players or you know maybe even someone who's in and around the boardroom like we we don't quite have that level of detail so you know you can what the gap for us is how far is the quote unquote the source inferring and how far are they parroting you know how far is this like the club line or how far is it just like, you know, someone who's kind of hanging around and, you know, got a glass of water on the door of the boardroom um, and things like that. And and we, and we don't know that. And sources come in like many shapes and sizes, really. Uh, they could be any one of those things. I, I think we can safely assume that David's sources are, are pretty well placed. And the fact that Arsenal felt the need to brief again and to brief explicitly on this occasion i think that first of all shows um i think that demonstrates the kind of the esteem that they hold david ornstein in um, or at the very least they understand the esteem that arsenal fans hold him in because they felt the need to you know to slightly correct that message um but it it, it does yeah you like you wonder as, as much out of curiosity as anything not necessarily mistrust like who is that source and have they just worded something a bit clumsily
1: um and yeah, what you goes know, inside the quotes and what goes outside the quotes is very very important exactly. when you're talking about potentially criticizing the fans you know
2: yeah yeah and and actually the the phrase that was used was external atmosphere so then you ask yourself the question do they consider you know, does that exclude the fans? Are they talking about the media and the punditocracy? Do they consider? Would, would they consider, for want of a better phrase, the fans' internal noise? Because you know that that it, it's a clumsy way of phrasing it, but but maybe that's what was meant. Maybe they meant the kind of the external noise, you know, aka the media. Um, and and the kind of commentary out there, they they might not they might have been explicitly excluding the fans by using the very word external because you know they they might trying to be they might have tried to present it as well the fans are internal noise they're part of the club and the stadium is literally internal noise because it happens in the stadiums we saw with granite jacca um but i mean that's g- given the jacca incident that's a really clumsy mistake to make because we saw with the jacca incident um the conflation between internal and external noise is is a very clumsy thing to do and it's something a lot of people have been doing quite frankly with, with that Xhaka incident the conflation of um, you know what's said inside the stadium and what you know what some um, despicable people say on social media, um, mm. and, so, and so that that's quite a silly mistake to make. But but also we don't know whose mistake that is. You know we don't know if it's a bit of a Chinese whispers scenario or whether someone's words were taken down, you know dictated or whether they were interpreted. This is all just stuff that we don't really know. Um,
1: yeah, well, well, you Um, run into a problem, right? Also, which is sometimes it winds up not being true. And anytime there's any instance of any reporter having ever been wrong on any scoop, then every story they put out is open to someone saying, well, they were wrong before. Um, You know, He reported that we weren't in for Pepe. And here's the problem with using sources. If I tell you, Tim, I will be in New York tomorrow talking to a high-level footballer about possibly joining Arsenal, and you report that, and you say, sources within Elliott's home tell me this, and then I just don't fucking fly to New York and don't talk to that footballer, you were just lied to. You were given bad information, and you're hung out to dry, and I'm not hung out to dry at all, except... Yeah, go ahead. I, I guess I'd say, David spent a lot of his career at the bbc and at the bbc
2: they have a policy of at least double sourcing of double checking um and having at least two sources before they go with something obviously he's not with the bbc anymore so mm-hmm. but I, I i i very much doubt that he's all of a sudden dispensed
1: with that journalistic discipline I, yes, I
2: agree.
1: um and, because you and lo- also, once you lose that credibility you, you your currency as a reporter, yep. is gone, right? I mean, if you're known for yep. breaking transfer stories, for example, and your hit rate is 1 out of 10, you're Indy Kyla. If your hit rate is 9 yep. out of 10, you're David Ornstein. So, But I, the only reason I raise this is because a lot of how our perception is being shaped right now is being shaped by what we see on the pitch, which is bad. But then the noise is coming, to use that word again, noises coming out of the club to try to, evaluate whether they understand the extent to which this isn't working whether they genuinely believe as we maybe were led to believe that the fans and the the reaction of the fans is part of the problem and I think that is hard for a lot of people to cope with so setting aside you know the navel gazing about whether reporters are right or not where do you fall on the issue of fan responsibility if there is any at all I mean to what extent you know, and there, this crosses cultural lines. And for you, someone who goes home and away every game, obviously Arsenal is near and dear to your heart. To what extent do you feel you have an obligation to be propping the club up and helping them win, and that your voice in the crowd and your voice on social media can be part of a, a positive move forward? Or do you maybe feel that that's just entirely overblown?
2: Um, This is really difficult because it's so nuanced and it's so subjective. So personally, so why don't I start with myself personally and caveat it by saying I'm not saying that everyone should be like me. Uh, Personally, I make the distinction between social media and the stadium. Um, I I intentionally make that distinction. Like you, I consider social media quite often just like um, a notepad for my thoughts sometimes they're irrational and emotional and sometimes I look at them kind of 24 hours later and think Meh, yeah maybe um given time I'd reword that or something but you know that's how I felt in the moment so fuck it that's fine that's that is the representation of how I felt at that moment maybe I don't feel about as strongly about it now but it's it's authentic and that's how I felt at the time and I like I've I've tweeted you know um I tweeted something about Emery at the final whistle against Wolves the other week um, and it, and it was fairly strong cause that's how I felt in the moment. I felt disappointed by the result and the performance and et cetera. And, and I kind of think that social media is, is almost like a bucket to scream into, mm. you know, at times. And I, and I get it like, um, so like with, let's take social media, I, I'm kind of fine with the visceral reaction like that, like the kind of the half an hour after the final whistle where you blow off steam. Well, let's just call what, what it do. is. The one where you tweet it out, get rid of this bum. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah like
2: yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I wouldn't have worded that like that, like a couple of hours later, but that's how I felt at the time. And What's wrong ineffrous... with that? It's authentic. Exactly. It's just authentic. Exactly. You
1: know? if you, exactly. can, I, can I just so stop for not... one sec? Cause if you were yeah, in a yeah. pub sitting next to your buddy having a beer, and you said, oh, we got to get rid of this bomb. No one be like, how dare you? Yeah. It's just, you know, social media lives forever. It just does, you know?
2: Exactly, exactly and and that's the thing when you go to the game that's what you do you go you go for a drink afterwards or even if you don't and you just get on the tube home and in that first half an hour you moan about the game you moan about the referee you moan about the substitutions so that's that's part of the therapy of getting it out of you and that's why I like I never have like any kind of shame or regret about those immediate reactions even though I think well I'd probably tone that down a couple of hours later cuz it's like no that's how I felt at the time and it it felt good to get rid of it and actually the the half an hour or hour after the game everyone's like that anyway and it's kind of fine i guess for me personally it's when it drags on on social media and the games happened on like saturday and it's tuesday and you know there's still like that it it becomes really dark you know and um i i like i'm a believer in like Exercising the negativity out of yourself a little bit. Like I, I talk a lot, right, about um people being too hard on referees and things like that. I mean inside the ground I'm a hypocrite because inside the ground, I I don't do it as much now because I've made a really conscious effort not to, but inside the ground, in the immediate aftermath of a decision, of course I shout things like, You idiot, like or sometimes things a little bit stronger, you know, like how can you call that a foul and things like that. But then like if I'm still complaining about it, like I don't know, a minute later, I kind of tend to – I mean I never am basically. I I get that out of me and then it's out And because otherwise what can happen – like because otherwise if you let negativity linger, it just produces more negativity. It
1: metastasizes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, and builds. And I got to tell you something. This is what really bothers me. This gaslighting about our fans are the worst, Arsenal fans are the worst, yeah. Arsenal fans are ruining Arsenal. Like, is it uh, one of the things I love about sport? Is it is one of the most unvarnished parts of your life. In every part of mm-hmm. your life, your relationship with your partner, your relationships at work, your relationship with with your friends. There has to be something held back. It has to be regulated at some level. You can't just spout your full emotion. And sport is a place to throw yourself unrestrained into the feelings you have. Booing or cheering, elation or depression. It is all very unvarnished and authentic. And in the moment, there's pantomime villains and there's instant heroes. And there's that will be a classic that lives in the memory. And that's Thomas charging through the midfield, right? That it's that's sport. And the minute you make it, well, you have to be circumspect, and you have to bite your tongue on yeah. that. You really should think about what you're saying. Like, I'm, Again, and that should not be conflated to your point with someone like telling someone's sister to die on social media. Yeah. That's not my point. My point is that the true, unvarnished, authentic reactions are what draws us to sport. The highs and the lows. the The villains and the heroes. And so, I yeah. think the minute you take that out and tell fans that they can only have one reaction, and that's the only true and proper reaction... You kill the thing people love about the sport. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Do you know, the the way I'd phrase it is like the difference, you know, talking about this thin line between like exercising yourself a bit and having a bit of a scream and a shout and 30 seconds later it's gone compared to like four days later still kind of <laughs> complaining about the referee or something you know like yeah, of just course. not being able to let it go the the line there is between being childlike and childish
1: very well said yeah. so
2: that kind of like that like you say that unvarnished i'm allowed to be a bit emotional here and i'm allowed to say oh fuck off referee and then like 10 seconds later it's gone and it's over and um it's i, I remember having this really epiphany to swing this back to inside the stadium right I remember having this really epiphanous moment when I was about 10 or 11 and I was at Wimbledon Arsenal at Selhurst Park. Uh, it's probably about 1994 or something. And um, a, a mass brawl broke out as it often did between Wimbledon and Arsenal because they had like horrible bastards like Vinnie Jones and uh, Jason uh, and a uh, yeah, Jason Fashion. You could literally who, um, make
1: up any name you want. 98% of the <laughs> listeners are going to think it's right. So just keep yeah, going.
2: <laughs> probably. And, and, you know, Arsenal had some hard bastards at the time as well. And there were, there was always like a 20 man brawl when we played Wimbledon at Selhurst Park and, and it, and it went off. I remember everyone getting up and everyone's just like fucking hit him, hit him, send mm-hmm. him off ref, you know, just everyone shouting. And there's this woman too. And I was doing it as well. There's this woman about two seats away from me sat there and I, I strongly suspect she wasn't really, a football fan and she kind of went along for curiosity and she was laughing her ass off (laughs) she was just she was just staring at everyone just like and she was just giggling and I and it was just like particularly at that age and and then it made me stop and look around and go yeah this is funny isn't it this is just ridiculous Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's but like she wasn't laughing in a derisory way like she seemed to be laughing in a way where she was extracting genuine joy. Like she wasn't like, go. it wasn't like a look at these idiots. It kind of was, but in a kind of, but I kind of get how this is entertaining and useful. It's, it's like WWE. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's throwaway. It's silly. It's stupid, but it's entertaining. And yeah. you know, it, it stops, you know, for an hour and you know, for two hours kind of every week or every game, it just people lose a sense of themselves and they lose everything else. And that's, that's like, that's kind of the point and that's the attraction in going and, and but then yeah you come on to like tricky things like um you know I guess when is it okay to like boo your own player for example and we, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago in the wake of the Xhaka thing and I, I kind of set the line of if someone's demonstratively not trying then I think it's kind of all right but then everyone has their own impression of what constitutes trying and like who knows when someone's trying or when someone's just a bit off their game and you know you know like that expression um i I don't think it's really an expression so much but that kind of you never know what someone else is going through so just always be nice because you never know like what demons other people are fighting or what things people are fighting in their personal lives like everyone's fighting a battle you don't know about but then there is the kind of just the theater of it just the kind of oh you're useless piss off and I guess it just depends how consuming it is and how seriously you take it. Like, like I said the other week, personally, it is not in me to boo an Arsenal player. It's not really in me to boo anyone, to be honest. I just, I don't know. I, I still, even in the heat of the moment, feel a bit silly doing it because it is. It's quite a silly thing to do when you think about it. Like being a grown man or woman and just making that sound is 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 a little bit odd and maybe I'm kind of overthinking but it's it. But so is throwing
1: your beer in the air and splashing it all over yeah, everybody yeah, when yeah. a goal is scored. The whole thing yeah. is silly. There's guys yeah. kicking a round inflated ball across a park into some designated nets. Like, it's the whole yeah, thing yeah. is ridiculous. So if you want to pull on that thread, the whole sweater falls apart. If you want to destroy the sweater, yeah. pull the string as I walk away. I mean, that that is the famous Weezer lyric, and it really holds up here. Look, I, I think there's another point, though, and this is what I want to get into, this whole gaslighting concept, and you see it so much on social media. We have the worst fans. The fans are the worst. You know, uh, they can take it. They can dish it out, but they can't take it. First of all, they shouldn't have to take it. That's yeah. not how this works. This is a one way transaction, okay? The fans are there to cheer and yell and boo and scream and vent and spleen, and the multi, multi, multi millionaire players and managers are there to put on this production. That's what they, you know mm-hmm. what? If you are an actor and you are get, get paid $50 million to go do a Hollywood movie, and a guy who's paid 18 grand a year to write reviews on some website says, I thought your performance was poor. Fucking suck it up. That's how yeah. it works. You know, and that, that's yeah, yeah. not to say you don't have a right to meet your critics in a, in a marketplace of ideas, but I, I do think that blaming fans and criticizing fans is the ultimate form of gaslighting, Tim, because the hmm. notion that, no, it's not the people who are paid professionally to do this well are the problem. It's the people who pay their good money, the working class people sitting in the stands or on social media thousands of miles away who aren't happy with it. They are the problem. And Mm. we can debate the nuance of how much real, proper, full-throated support can help a team. But I'm going to tell you something. Liverpool are probably going to win the title. Liverpool, Mm. Fortress Anfield. Arsene Wenger was going on BN Sports talking about it. I can remember some games in the very recent past where Anfield was a library where those fans were committing literal acts of racism, okay? Where they were supporting a racist, biting, disgusting, despicable player because he kicked some balls in the net. Like, the idea that fans don't have toxicity, you know, within little segments is wrong. The idea that any fan base supports when things are going really bad is wrong because they don't. Mm. Um, Newcastle fans, you know, like... I can mm. tell you they don't. Hell, Newcastle players were fighting each other on the pitch not so long ago. Like So I just, I, I don't know why we have this obsession with criticizing our own, criticizing the people who are only guilty of really, really caring and expressing that care in various ways. And again, I'm not talking about the people who do it improperly, who make send mm. death threats. I mean, even, you know what? I even find Grotti adding a player or adding the manager in a discussion on Twitter. Like if I'm saying, oh, Emory, yeah, yeah. Emory sucks, and then someone adds, him into a mention of my, like no don't do that, yeah, that yeah, that's yeah, yeah. completely yeah. ridiculous behavior but so now this may all kind of feel like navel gazing but the reason i get into this is because tim i i think we are at a at a point now where there is this maybe tendency to say actually the fans are just self um the fans are are have too much expectation. The fans want instant gratification. The fans um, are entitlement. That's the word I'm looking for. Have a sense of entitlement. And actually, if they were patient, things would go well. I saw some chat on Twitter today about, oh, that we would have been calling for Klopp to be sacked in his first season. And I think it's patently ridiculous. And the gaslighting to me is the notion that we have somehow our evaluation of Emery is off-base. Our evaluation of what's Mm. happening is off-base. So in your mind, how do you respond to the idea that that we have not been fair somehow in this evaluation. And I don't mean we, you and me. I mean that the sort of yeah, collective yeah. Arsenal diaspora has not been fair in its evaluation and that, that we would have been running clop out of town on a rail. Yeah,
2: I mean, first of all, like, um, you know, I, I saw the tweet that you referenced. I mean, first of all, um, let's look at how much support Liverpool fans gave Roy Hodgson, um, shall we? Um, when an appointment's wrong, an appointment's wrong and people people tend to be able to pick up on it. But I, I think what it is, first of all, it's in, it's exceptionally insular. It's exceptionally insular. It's that um, it's that being guilty of believing that your experience is universal and being guilty of kind of. Looking at something you experience every day and assuming that that's that, that therefore, is what the entire world is. There's it's a logic very, bias
1: name for that. I can't remember yep. which one it is, but it's survivorship. Bi- I mean, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Immediacy bias. It's, it's exactly that. I just Google Napoli fans at the moment, Napoli ultras. Have a little look at what's going on with Carlo Ancelotti there. Um, it's, it's a little bit worse than a bit of booing at the Emirates. Um, and by the way, Ken Early in the Irish Times last week wrote a brilliant article about kind of why London grounds are slightly different in terms of um, how they express dissatisfaction. But it's it's exceptionally colloquial. I mean, like, it, which is not to say, like, the atmosphere around Arsenal isn't a little bit negative and there aren't people who just sit there and moan for moaning's sake. Like, there are at every club, but just look around, like just look around, like get out of your little get out of your little kind of rabbit hole and poke your head up once in a while and have a look at what's going on elsewhere. Because it's it's not. Ex- I, I tend to think the idea that anything is really entirely exclusive to a fan base, a bit silly, um, to be honest with you, there, there will be like. Different um, flavours of fans in in every fan base, but I, I think where it comes from, and and so yeah, you get this kind of oh, Arsenal fans are to run Klopp out of town after five months, and it's like, well, um, I, I don't really remember a lot of Arsenal fans, you know, in their in their, you know, saying he was doing a bad job at that point. I don't remember a lot of Liverpool fans saying it, and they said it about Hodgson in far less time. So. So it's but and, and Emery's been in charge for quite a bit more than five months. And when Emery was at the five month stage, let's say January this year, was there a lot of Emery out sentiment? I didn't, I, I didn't see much, um, to be honest. So that that's a complete false equivalency. Where, where it kind of comes from, I, I think it's easy. Sometimes when people are exposed to people who who really are just truly negative and a bit toxic and again every fan base has those people it's it's easy to believe that everyone's like that it's like um you know it's like when you write an article or something or you put a piece of content out there and 10 people can say great piece really enjoyed that enjoyed that but disagreed with it blah 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 but the one guy that says that was shit and you're an idiot like that's the guy that gets you and that's the that's the one that makes you feel that's the feeling you take away you know Mm. so there's like a little bit of that going on but i think the main place it comes from is people just trying to change the subject um and people who and I, i kind of get it i think it's a bit childish but i get it it's people who don't want the club to be criticized and therefore look to deflect the debate And the easiest way to deflect the debate is to blame it on the fans. And I get that there are some fans that annoy people, just like there are people that annoy people. You get on the bus or the train to work in the morning, there's going to be someone that fucking annoys you. That doesn't mean that all commuters are idiots just because like one stood on your foot and didn't say sorry when they were like wrestling their way off the train, (laughs) Uh, you know. But, but that's the memory you take with you, right, of your commute. If one person pissed you off, then you'll be like, oh, that was awful. Um, so there, there's, there's some things that are conscious and subconscious. There are some things that are understandable. There are some things, though, that are just downright dishonest um, and that I quite object to. And that's what I was talking about earlier as well, like the conflation between – I understand not to relitigate the Xhaka incident. I understand it in Xhaka's mind that when you've got people going at you, it becomes amorphous. And, you know, that's just how stress works. You know, stress is always a build up and you explode at one person for something that a hundred other people did to you before them. But, you know, supporters conflating those things, that's just downright dishonest. Um, quite a lot of the time, and I think a lot of those people know it deep down.
1: So then let's so then let's get to the pointy end real quick with the last thought here, which is just the the time seems to be up on Emery, and I said on the regular podcast that I think he will be sacked soon. There are some worrying noises again. There's that word again coming out of the club. Certainly, what was briefed to David Ornstein was worrying. I think the statement that they put out subsequently felt a little more like the dreaded vote of confidence that comes before a manager's moved on. But then Gian Balgay who i think was sort of close to raul and one of the first to cross the emery story and and so on and so forth put out a, an interview today on social media that basically was like things aren't that bad here's why they're not that bad and the club agrees it's not that mm. bad which is patently ridiculous in my mind but so mm. i mean let's look at this logically you might have a half empty stadium in the for the frankfurt game you're definitely going to yeah. have 10,000 or so empty seats for the southampton game there are mm. going to be booze for 80 of the 90 minutes unless it's you know a 5-0 victory and a lot of jeering. You're going to start to get the banners. You're going to start to get the walkouts and all the things that fans start to do when they get really annoyed. And it's November. I just... Mm. My reason for thinking he will be sacked is I think that there's a point of untenability. That's probably not a word. Where it just can't go on. Like, even if they want it to mm. go on, it can't short of Stan literally saying, I will not pay this guy off, period, end of story. So, for you, I mean, do you do you see my argument that, that yeah. it could reach a low where... You just can't do five and a half months of that even if you want to? Or are you more inclined to believe that the statements coming out are accurate and that these guys are going to stick with them for the season?
2: No, so I I think that it looks like there have been some briefings like he's got till Christmas kind of thing and they're looking at that Christmas period and they're going to see how things have shaped up like after the Man New game on January the 1st. And I think that makes a bit more sense, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, I still don't agree with it at all. And I think, you know, an international break in November, I, I just think this is the the best time to do it um, rather than changing in January, um, particularly because I think if we stay with Emery, it's just going to be beyond us by then. Um, but I, I am more inclined to believe that. And, and yes, and look, you know, with with the Shaka thing, right? Here's, here's a quite uncomfortable truth. Um, whether you agree with how this has happened or not. And I'm not entirely sure I do agree. I do think Xhaka was a bit unfortunate to be made a lightning rod for all this, mm. but um, it worked, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's not playing and it looks like he's going to leave. And actually the fans that booed him have kind of got what they wanted. Um, maybe not in the most glorious of circumstances, but it's kind of worked, hasn't it? And you know some of the the kind of toxicity towards the end of the Wenger reign. Um, it, it took a while, but it worked, didn't it? Like the empty seats and the disgruntlement. And because here's the thing, right? I'm I'm not sure how far like Raúl and Edu are the issue. I I think it's the Cronkies. Um, yeah. I yeah. think everything we said before. They're disengaged, so they will be slow to pick up on and react to trouble they just will because they're not engaged they not. They don't care about the sporting success of the team and that's the thing that's going to keep slapping us in the face over however long that they're owners and that, that's a really depressing thought but I think it's one we've got to confront when things go bad they will be allowed to go bad for too long because Stan and Josh Kroenke do not care about the sporting success of Arsenal they, they don't care they're not invested in mm. it and we have to confront that so when we go through a bad period or we make a bad appointment we will tolerate it for longer than we should because it will take they're too removed both physically and emotionally from the situation so they will take too long to pull the trigger and we're just going to have to go through that at the moment but i i tend to agree i think (laughs) i think the fans have kind of been shown that that action can work, whether you should take it or not, or whether you should take the u- other view and go, well, actually, what we should try and do is create a positive atmosphere and help them out of the slump and everything like that. In reality, that's not going to happen. That's, that's not how masses of people operate. They just don't. Just look at how people vote in elections, right? People don't vote for positive reasons they vote for negative reasons this is why bastards win elections because they tell you everything they tell you the negative things that they will get rid of and that's what people vote for because that's how people think on mass that's how crowd how crowd logic operates and yeah i i I think that eventually as you say people will drift away the grumbling will continue jack has gone someone else will become the lightning rod and eventually, um, you know, the, the very fact that they referenced the noise and should the external noise allow it to do so suggests that they pay heed to that noise.
1: Yeah, they are definitely across, uh, I think, fan sentiment. And whether that's in, in, on social media or on blogs and podcasts or on AFTV or, you know, at the ground itself, I'm sure they're across it. And, you know, Tim, sometimes you have to think about how these things operate behind the scenes instead of just what you're seeing before your eyes and like. If Raul's trying to negotiate with agents and they're like, I'm just not going to send your player to this club right now, I, I, he doesn't want to play for Emery, I don't want him playing for Emery. And if they're in negotiations with L- L- Lacazette and Aubameyang's agent and their agents are like, this guy's a fucking mug and we want him gone or we're not resigning under any circumstances, maybe that's already been decided. And if Lucas Torreira's agent's like, we need him away from Emery as fast as possible and there's, you know, yeah. people sniffing around again and yeah, go ahead.
2: And well, yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. Like, um, <laughs> what this could come down to. I, I jokingly said on Twitter the other day, imagine if they did um, a player vote for whether Emory should stay, like they did with the captaincy. And you know, we're talking about like <laughs> affirmative action <laughs> to try and get rid of the manager. What if
1: it comes from the players first? See, I, I do think that that carries weight. I really do. And because ultimately, can Raúl get by on his, you know? very, very comfortable life every day. If Emery is absorbing a ton of abuse, he can. But what happens when it makes Raul's job hard? What happens when he looks like he's a failure? What happens when it blows back on him? Then then I think it gets more difficult. And and Adu too, who's only now in on the job and is gonna be like, what did I walk into? No wonder Manchi didn't want to come here, right? So like I, I think I think those problems can can hasten a change. And the only situation to your point is if these guys go to Stan and say, look, we need the money to pay off Emery. It's not working. We got to make a change. And Stan says, "Well, who you got in mind?" And they're like, "We're going to do a caretaker for the rest of the season, but we have some good ideas lined up for that time." Then Stan might say, "Then you know what? Stick with him till the end of the season so we don't have to pay him out. I don't want to spend 3 million or 4 million whatever it is pounds just so we can have a caretaker in charge." And mm-hmm. and if that is the case, then you're then you know what, Tim? Then we're really fucked because yeah. critical decisions that have to be made that affect the connection between the fans and the clubs and the sporting success of the club and all that are coming down to relatively paltry sums of money that impact the bottom line. I don't know that that's the case, but the only argument I could see for why they will stick this out to the end of the season is they can't get the guy they want permanently till the summer. Mm -hmm. And so given the option between a caretaker and Emery, Stan has said, let's just stick with the guy I don't have to buy out. And that that could be it and that would be a worry.
2: Wouldn't surprise me at all.
1: Yeah, all right, let's leave it there. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim.
2: My pleasure, as always.
1: After a short break, Lewis is going to be up to talk about the Aubameyang situation. So it's more fun. It's all fun all the time. But the important thing is, it's your fault. And that is something you should internalize. We'll be back with more right after this. Stay with us. Okay, it's time to tell you about The Athletic, the new home of football writing and a world-class sports website. You can get The Athletic for half off and a month trial right now if you go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. You'll help the pod. And, of course, you'll help the Athletic, too. But that's a good thing because you will be at the new home of football, getting world-class writing. And the best coverage of Arsenal from writers like Amy Lawrence, whom we love, has been on the pod. David Ornstein, James McNicholas, also known as Gunnerblog, myself. But don't let that hold you back. The coverage of sports is unrivaled, and there's no advertising to get in the way, no clickbait. They're not chasing ad revenue. They're just trying to write great in-depth articles. They've broken some incredible news. They've had some incredible interviews. Loved the article about the Eddie and Kedya load to Leeds and how that came about. So there's a lot to like there. Try it out. It's a month free. And then if you stick with it, it's two fifty a month. That's it. So you can go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision and try it now. See what all the buzz is about. Go sign up now, theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. All right, we're back. Just time for a quick chat with Lewis Ambrose. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hello. Yeah, I really appreciate you doing this and been wanting to get you on for a long time. I'm sorry that it has to be under these circumstances, but there is a bit of a brouhaha going on with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and... You know, look, he's an interesting character. You know, he drives around in a, a Lamborghini that is, re- like, reflective and stuff. And he, he likes a little bit of bling, and that's fine. He also seems to have formed a really wonderful friendship with another striker who, you know, that relationship could have been a problem for the club if they hadn't hit it off. He did a nice job with that. He took Ganduzi under his wing. I mean, I think that there's a lot about Aubameyang to like. But the way he is being painted right now for liking a few posts on social media, for hanging around with troops from AFTV— and now this Instagram post where he basically says, I'll hang out with whoever I like, go fuck yourself, essentially. Um, Being painted as a bit of an irritant. So I want to do a few things. First, before we get to what's currently happening, a lot of people are pointing to Dortmund and saying, see, he was a problem there, now he's a problem here, this guy's a problem. Can you just quickly deal with the assertion that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was an irritant or a problem at Dortmund? Why that assertion exists and whether it's accurate. Uh,
3: So I've never... Reliably found, come across anything. I've never personally felt like uh, the Pierre M'Kombamyang was a big problem at Borussia Dortmund. He he is definitely a unique kind of guy. I think everybody can see from the way he dresses and things like that. Is this isn't uh, like a, a shy and retiring kind of guy? And I think then you you can expect some. Um, for want of a better word, some problems with him. He's kind of going to be off the cuff, and sometimes he's going to try and bend the rules and see how far they bend before they break. Uh, At Dortmund, there were a couple of occasions, for example, where players had a day off, and he would take his day off to fly to Milan, where his brothers were living, and go to a birthday party or something. Then he would turn up at training late the next day. And Dortmund, at times, banned him from games. There was a couple of games where Dortmund actually just turned around and said, even Champions League, and they turned around and said, no, you, we're not letting somebody do that to us. So you're not playing tomorrow. Um, Aubameyang would come back in the next week, probably score. There was one against, uh, there was one week again, weekend. Dortmund played, I think, Benfica in the Champions League. He was out for that exact reason. Um, then he was back in the team at the weekend against Hamburg, and he scored a hat trick. And and everybody laughs and smiles and goes, yeah, well. I guess that's why you can let him get away with some things like that. The the real issues at Dortmund came when he was moving to Arsenal. So he'd been expected to leave in the summer. Obviously he joined Arsenal in January. He was expected to leave Dortmund the previous summer for various reasons and move didn't materialize. He was expected to go to China. Uh, then Dortmund sold man Dembélé after he went on strike from training, after Barcelona showed interest in him. And then Aubameyang basically followed suit. Dembélé went on strike to get his move. So in January, when Aubameyang knew there was interest from Arsenal, he went on strike to get his move. Uh, he also complained about some, let's say, unfortunate kind of idioms that were used in German that uh, yeah. he, mm-hmm. that he thought were racist. Um and then I think, especially from journalists that I follow on Twitter and that I do respect, there were then a sort of... Uh, it's it's hard to... Like, I, I don't want to call it like white explaining or something serious like that, but I felt like they didn't really understand why him with his poor-to-average understanding of German um, would take offense to what had been said about him. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, as somebody who speaks German but English or kind of speaks German, English as a first language, and I, I definitely saw where he was coming from there. I think others, because of his previous behavior at times, sort of thought he was just trying to do as much as he could to engineer a move and it was all a bit faux outrage, and I don't really think that was the case. And you, you mentioned it at the top there, the, the relationship with Lacazette and things like that. Uh, this guy is not in my opinion this guy is not like a serial troublemaker but we've seen it with his relationship with Dortmund since he's moved even if you say something about him if you attack him his choices his lifestyle he's gonna bite back he's not gonna take it that's just who he is he's not gonna sit there. I mean imagine if Thierry Henry had had social media when he was around mm-hmm. and he's not gonna yeah he's not gonna sit there he's outspoken and as he's, he's you know Oh, yeah. He's not going to let you tell him who he can, can and can't be friends with, um, regardless of what any of us on an individual level thinks about it. And he's outspoken. He's also very straight to the point and direct, I think, when when his back is against the wall a little bit. And I, I don't think too much wrong, personally, was said about what Aubameyang's done or been doing. Um, but I think this reaction from him I think anyone could have seen it from a mile off, to be honest.
1: Mm. So uh, then let's let's sort of fast forward to to what's going on now. And I mean, some of this seems to stem from the fact, presumably. Now, David Ornstein wrote an article about this uh, earlier in the pod. We talked about David Ornstein and and you know the respect we have for him and and the fact that he definitely clearly has sources. But some of the stuff he reported has been called into question by. Troops who says, you know, I wasn't in Oba's box and have been in Oba's box and by Aubameyang himself with his social media post. But what's your just sort of 30,000-foot view initial take on this tempest in a teapot, so to speak, about Aubameyang liking social media posts that maybe he shouldn't and fraternizing with AFTV and how it might be impacting the dressing room?
3: Um, so I completely understand why teammates would... Pissed off if Aubameyang has a personal relationship with people who, in my opinion, very vocally criticise individual players. Who sometimes the criticism can go way beyond the kind of barrier between criticism of a footballer and getting actually getting personal. Um, I really and you see, I think you can see largely the dressing room view on. On the, the guys involved with AFTV from Hector Bellerin, what he said about them like, two years ago now I think almost two years ago or more than two years I'm not sure. Um, I think it's about a year and a half ago. Um, I, I think I would not be surprised if that is the the view of the dressing room. Um, so I it it wouldn't shock me if people are a bit annoyed about Aubameyang's what seems like quite a close personal relationship, considering it's between a a footballer and a fan um, with like troops in particular. But at the same time, the timing of this is so ridiculous from Arsenal's point of view.
1: Mm. Um, So let's try to dig under the, under the nails a little bit and find the dirt. Do you think that some of this might be, Prepping fan sentiment for the reality that Aubameyang is not going to be sticking around much longer.
3: Possibly, I I think that if Aubameyang leaves Arsenal, um, if he doesn't sign his new contract, a new contract, and therefore leaves in the summer, I think it's it will be because Arsenal will not be in the Champions League. I think that will be the reason it happens, which is not a situation where Aubameyang is the bad guy. So maybe if there are people inside the club who would like to garner more sympathy, then I think it's reasonable to suggest that it's a possibility that they would put stories or a story like this out, especially knowing that there are already there people who, who doubt his professionalism, who talk about what happened at Dortmund in a negative light. I would get it if people thought that that's what's going on here.
1: Mm. You know, the the thing that's hard for me, too, with this is, look, we are all guilty of bias, and I happen to adore Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, the player, but I also kind of like his personality. I like the way he handled the relationship with Lacazette. I like the way he took... Gendouzi under his wing I like the way he has toiled out on the wing so Lacazette could play at times even though it's not his best position and I like the way he is by far our best player who has carried us and we would be in the relegation zone without him but that doesn't excuse behavior that's not appropriate I guess the question becomes how much we care about different types of behavior some people have asked me why I'm you know not okay with how Shaka behaved, for example but I'm fine with Aubameyang I would draw a very fine line under between A reaction during a game on a pitch that is unprofessional and does not help the team with liking social media posts. I think the other thing is Arsenal have to get dragged into modern big club football one way or the other. Like, Lionel Messi got charged with tax evasion. Cristiano Ronaldo was charged with rape. Uh, there's a lot of unsavory shit that goes on with big star players at big clubs. And at big clubs, there are just circuses. Circuses surrounding these players. And there's always some crazy shit, whether it's Pogba or Hazard or whoever it is. We've seen a little bit of it with Ozil. Ozil and Erdogan. I mean, you know, making a guy best man at your wedding who has a very questionable human rights you know, record. There's all kinds of shit that happens at big clubs. Big, big club football can be a little grotty and unsavory. And the players get mixed up in some weird stuff. So I'm sorry if, like, he liked a post that was negative towards Emery. is hard for me to get exercised about. I don't know what's behind it. I don't know how intended it was, and I certainly don't know how much it matters if he's training hard, you know, saying the right things in public and and working hard on the pitch. I mean, where do you come down on issues like that in terms of how much of a good boy a player has to be to be within the you know be coloring within the lines of their responsibility as a, as an employee of the club?
3: Yeah, I think. Aubameyang is paid for and celebrated for scoring goals for Arsenal and if he's at training late now and then or doesn't get on great with all his teammates that kind of thing then I have not really got a big issue with it personally if he's scoring goals for Arsenal if he's playing well if he's not upsetting the team I think there can be an issue here if it's genuinely an issue in the dressing room then I think that's troubling, especially when he's just been made captain. Uh, you need your key players, but especially your captain, to have the respect of their teammates, which is something I think we can all agree that Granite Xhaka actually does have. Um, I personally sympathise with with Granite Xhaka and the whole reaction where it just felt like for him that moment was just boiling point and. I I think it was very emotional and I think we can kind of excuse emotional reactions at times. I think Aubameyang kind of talking with somebody on Instagram and sharing posts on Instagram and liking posts. on. I think that's a bit different to an emotional reaction on the pitch. Um, But ultimately for me, it does come down to whether or not that's then impacting what happens on the pitch from what we can see. It's not Uh, whether or not it's impacting the dressing room is another matter. But I also don't think this would be much of an issue if Arsenal were winning games at the moment.
1: Yeah, I mean, and part of this comes down to what I think is a really tricky issue, and that is people's relationship with Arsenal Fan TV or AFTV. Um, I, I think AFTV is one of these things that there are a lot of angles you can come at it. Some people's attitude towards it is it is that it should be tried at the Hague for war crimes. It is the worst thing in the history of the world. I. Long- I am right. what was that A long oh, I am right. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um I, I'm fine with the latter no I mean look my take on AFTV is kind of like anything I don't care for I totally acknowledge its right to exist and I totally acknowledge that there's clearly a a segment that it services in a very significant way a, a, an amount of entertainment or a modicum of of uh, enjoyment And I would never dispute its right to exist and do that. I happen to not care for it. I do not like it. I think that some of the guys that are involved with it come across as clowns. I think some of their behavior is not becoming, and I don't love it. But I'm not their dad, and I don't have to watch, and no one's making me watch. I mean, I guess it's a little different if you're at the the ground, and you're like, I have to see them. I don't have a choice. That's a different issue and whether the club should allow them to be at the ground. Um, But putting that aside, like, I think because they are so polarizing. The fact that they have been connected to the story makes the story and the player more polarizing. There are some people that just genuinely feel like, I mean, I'm not kidding that like Arsenal fan TV is, is like a criminal organization that should be tried and jailed. I mean, it is that strong a feeling. And I, I cannot allow myself to get that exercised about people just making YouTube con- content. And, you know, I think maybe there might be a a, a um cultural, not cultural, but generational disconnect too, because like. I don't know what a Logan Paul is or a KSI is, but, like, people packed a stadium to watch them fight each other, and apparently they are YouTubers, and, like, I cannot connect with that at all. I just find the whole thing really interesting, and I recognize that I make a podcast, which wasn't a thing when I was a kid. So, like, this stuff all changes, and what we consider entertainment and what kind of content surrounds our entertainment and springs off of it is all different. I don't watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. I think it's ridiculous, like, if you love it, go have at it. Like, Werner Herzog was in an interview today just saying he watches Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So, like, it's all a little bit weird. But, Louis, I mean, for you, is is Arsenal fan TV something that, in your mind, deserves the opprobrium it receives, and as a result, Aubameyang deserves it by association? Um, I think that... I,
3: Because it's so polarizing, if it wasn't so successful um, in terms of views and and subscribers and that kind of thing, then this wouldn't really be an issue. It wouldn't be a topic. I think this is also a bit of a carry-on that's gone on for a few years now. I think a lot of people don't like the personalities on AFTV. They don't like the the way they conduct themselves, or the way they talk about Arsenal, or the way they react after games. Personally, as a fan... Uh, as a fan who I don't anymore because I don't, I don't live close by anymore, but I used to go to the stadium a lot and I always felt, and I think this is, this is a problem with football generally. I don't think this is a problem, uh, sort of an arsenal related an exclusively arsenal related issue. Um, but as a fan in the stadium, I would not have, have booed or whistled or whatever. Granite Jacker the other week, I feel like you've, I don't pay money to go to the stadium when I do still go to get a good show. I go to the stadium to support the team. I living in Germany, I feel very strongly about the culture that fans can impact a result. Just look at Anfield on Sunday, the noise, the pure noise, every time Man City got on the ball, that is 50,000 of people who believe that they can win their club, the game. I feel like Arsenal, after years of kind of sameness, I worry that Arsenal fans have got to a point where now they don't think anything they do has any impact, and I think that's very dangerous because then I think if you do go and rant about the the game and get I don't know how many views their videos get, a hundred thousand views or whatever on YouTube, I, I, this stuff reaches the players, especially when it goes viral and it reaches the dressing room. It doesn't garner a good atmosphere. And more importantly, the people who are watching it are the people in the stadium. And it, to me, it justifies being angry at the team in the stadium and at the match and outside the stadium. And it has garnered, uh, the words been used loads about Mm. Arsenal recently, but to me, a really toxic kind of atmosphere Mm. that I think is not conducive to getting better results. And I, I really do believe that when I go to the stadium, if everybody had a similar mindset that it would help. Um,
1: and that, and that is fair. I, I I think what I would say with the Arsenal fan TV thing is there's so much bound up in this. I think there's class warfare bound up in it and little, and I, I'm not blaming anybody for anything, but I do think sometimes there are people on AFTV that talk about the game a little differently, that use a little different language, that look a little different, that dress a little different from maybe other uh, people that, that, create content or are attached to the game in one way or another. And I, I want to be very careful about that because I think, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. And I hope that I'm expressing myself articulately and, and not making a mockery of the point I'm trying to make, which is simply that there is room for people who look different and sound different and speak differently and analyze differently and feel differently to have content that appeals to them. Um, and that comes from them, that comes from their form of communication. And, I think where I struggle with AFTV sometimes is wondering whether it is always totally genuine. Like, I started making a podcast because I just wanted to talk about Arsenal. I didn't start making a podcast to become a celebrity fan. And I do wonder if this has become an act for some people. That if this, it has stopped being authentic and genuine and started being an act, a persona that they put on because generates revenue, certainly, and because it generates attention and that sort of celebrity fandom. And that, I think, would be a shame because I think this stuff is always most valuable when it is a genuine expression of a real opinion and not an act. Uh, that that would be something I'd concern myself with. But, but again, I think the point is also that, generationally, players are the age of people that watch YouTube and watch YouTubers. And so they will see this stuff. They won't hear the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. They don't hear that kind of analysis, most likely. I doubt it would interest them because they'd be like, this person thinks they know football and they don't. But they like the the sort of a, emotive, performative reactions on YouTube. That's what YouTube is about. And so they will see it and they will hear it. And it will split the dressing room. Bellerin hates it. Maybe Aubameyang thinks it's hilarious. And maybe he is trying to curry favor so he doesn't come in for criticism. Who knows? I mean, the, the, those kind of machinations, I think, go a step too far. But where it leaves us now, Lewis, is the big question, which is simply, with what has happened and how this has played out, do you think that there is... An outcome where Aubameyang resigns and stays with Arsenal, and how would that? How, what would have to happen for you to feel that could come to pass?
3: I think the bigger issue is that I don't think Arsenal will be in the Champions League next season, and therefore Aubameyang won't sign a new contract and stay at Arsenal.
1: If they were in the Champions League next season, do you think he would stay? Do you think it's that cut and dry?
3: I think they'd have a very good chance of convincing him to stay. I think. That's what I would say anyway. I, I don't think Piramic on is going to leave Arsenal because a few people uh, were upset about who he, then I, I don't know, mentioned on his Instagram story and who he follows on Instagram. Uh, I think if Arsenal win enough games to get into the Champions League, then nobody will be talking about this.
1: Yeah, you uh, know, that is an interesting point, by the way, because I've heard the, the argument thrown around that the big problem with AFTV is they make money off negativity and money off the, the struggles of the club. But like if the club was winning, they'd be making money off the success of the club. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, we can only talk about the content we've got to talk about. You. Know? I mean, I,
3: I do think it's, it has been in the past, like overly negative, even when like the team have been in winning runs. Yeah, or, I,
1: I think there's, there's some truth to that for sure.
3: Or, or playing good football. And I feel like then like a few years ago, the, the maybe the people on FTV would kind of look for somewhere else to criticize if they, if they couldn't, if it wasn't just sort of staring you in the face. Um, I also think like all of this, I mean, you you, you're here doing the, the Arsenal vision podcast every, well, a few times a week. Every usually. day it feels like. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and I'm sure that sometimes we lose and you get more listeners, but also sometimes we lose and we're just losing so often that you don't get well, more. And, listeners. and that
1: is, by the way, that is a misconception. What I will tell you is, Sure. You might get a spike in listeners for a really bad result when people need a catharsis, yep. but overall bad results lead to long-term declines in listeners, long-term declines in all of the metrics that measure the success of this stuff. Our biggest growth is always when things have been going well, when something exciting is happening, when we sign Pepe, that kind of stuff, you know?
3: Oh, and look, uh, the, at the moment, you, uh, I get the the notification that the the new podcast is up, and I look at it for a minute, and I'm like, well, is it just going to be the exact same as last week's podcast? because yeah, yeah. what are you going to say?
1: Exactly. Because yeah. that's what it
3: feels like at, the, at
1: times. And, and to be fair, I mean, sometimes, like, you watch something or listen to something because you want to glean, glean something really um, insightful about it, and sometimes you just want... I mean, look, I have shows I watch, TV shows I watch that are really intellectual and interesting and fun, and then I watch rick and morty because <laughs> it's just hilarious and my brain can switch off or you know i think it's smarter than that but anyway you get the point i think we should leave it there look i think one of the issues that's going to run and run with this though is that obamiang now has been thrust into being the club captain and i think that will sort of change the calculus on his behavior a little bit too so this will continue to be interesting hopefully it will die down because i think it's just the most interesting thing about him is banging the ball in the back of the net lewis is on twitter at lewis uh, lg ambrose thanks lewis Thanks. My name is Let's Be the Black Man. Twitter: Yankee Gunner. We will have a mailbag pod probably later this week or start of next week, just for patrons. So get your questions in the mailbag Discord, or I will post a Patreon post where you can put the questions in the comments there. In any event, we love you. and We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Southampton. Hill.